And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And we are live. Have beaten the Carolina Panthers 37-15. to They take an inferior team, and they do what they should do to an inferior team, and that's win by three touchdowns. Now, it did come at a cost, though. The 49ers lost Nick Bosa with a groin injury. They hope that it won't be too serious, but he left right after halftime. And then... Uh, there's a chance there's a much more serious injury to Emmanuel Mosley, the cornerback who was in there at the end of the game covering a deep post pattern, and the 49ers fear that Mosley has torn his ACL. So, uh, boy, that's obviously not good for the 49ers, not good for Emmanuel Mosley, who's in a contract year, was playing his way into big money, had another really good game today before he got hurt. There was a pick six from Emmanuel Mosley against Baker Mayfield at the end of the first half. Uh, so the 49ers, as they head to the Greenbrier in West Virginia to lick their wounds, are hoping for the best, but uh, bracing themselves for the worst regarding Emmanuel Mosley following this win over the Panthers that thrust them into sole possession of first place in the NFC West. Yeah, going to the Greenbrier to lick their wounds has become a recurring theme for the 49ers um everybody remembers the game against the jets two years ago where, where bosa and solomon thomas and um yeah there were a couple of other ones where he most got hurt in that game and uh they had to you know that was the one where infamously they had to call the mri truck they had so many injuries and the mri truck even broke down and then last year the the game ahead of west virginia was uh, week one in detroit and that's when uh, Mostert got hurt again, and uh, of course Jason Barrett tore his ACL. So this has been something that the 49ers have had to deal with, which is a, a pretty convincing win on the road that's really tempered by a uh, long-term injury, this time to Emmanuel Mosley. And, and we don't know. There, there could be others. Um, uh, Robbie Gold hurt his knee. Uh, it was not a good special teams game. He hurt his knee trying to make a tackle. And then Nick Bosa um, is dealing with tightness in his groin. And I have to wonder whether that's a little bit related to what his brother is going through. Um, Joey Bosa, of course, uh, suffered a a serious groin injury that required surgery. He's going to be out eight to ten weeks. He's going to miss the the 49ers Chargers game. But I I have to wonder, and nobody talked to Bosa after the game, but I have to wonder whether that injury was playing in the back of Nick Bosa's head that – you know, if I keep pushing this this groin, doesn't feel right. It could turn into something more major, and maybe that's why he pulled himself out of the game. And, and if he did, that would have been a, a really smart decision. Yeah, Bosa didn't look happy, but I mean, he he knows his body better than anyone, and he also knows the 49ers' pass rush had enough juice to get this one done without him. The 49ers finished with six sacks in this game, so they have now 13 sacks over. 
the past two games, which is phenomenal, especially considering the fact that the pass rush obviously was weakened without Nick Bosa, but they just kept on coming, kept on coming. And, you know, with the defense losing a little bit of steam, one thing that they struggled with at the start of the second half without Bosa was stopping the run. Christian McCaffrey got a little bit of his there. He had that 19-yard touchdown on the pitch right. And there was a point there where the Panthers were rushing for 4.5 per carry, and they'd closed in to eight points. It was 17-9, to nine, the 49ers led the game and you know at that point with Carolina able to run the 49ers obviously a little bit shorthanded on the defensive line uh the the you know the onus of pressure you could really feel it shifting to the 49ers offense which had obviously been carried by in the most part by the 49ers defense over the first four games of the season but Matt the 49ers offense passed the test with flying colors and I thought they did it from a uh, execution and a play calling perspective because you know first you have to consider that Kyle Shanahan is notoriously risk averse right but they faced a fourth and three from the Carolina 43 and the absolutely the right decision in that situation analytically is to go for it Shanahan went for it and the 49ers converted thanks to a penalty and then they reaped the rewards of that Jawan Jennings caught the crosser from Jimmy Garoppolo went 31 32 yards down to the three yard line and then Jimmy Garoppolo was just making plays today and I mean this wasn't the first nor was the last play that he made but um, after he had run for a touchdown they got nullified by a, a holding penalty against Aaron Banks Garoppolo just fired one in there on third down to Debo Samuel that was a touchdown and then the 49ers turned around and with the pressure on their offense scored again on the next drive and that that drive that was 12 plays 75 yards and they had to convert three third and longs on that drive so that's what i wrote about is just you know seven of 12 on third down the seven conversions averaged uh, seven yards to go so it required playmaking from their quarterback especially behind a third string left tackle uh jimmy garoppolo delivered that playmaking time and time again and that went all the way back to the first half on third down when when he just got completely drilled, I mean, the Panthers were running all these aggressive blitz packages, cover zero, and Garoppolo got flattened by two guys, including Brian Burns, who beat Jalen Moore, the third-string left tackle, and somehow, some way, he released the football, and this was not like a five-yard quick release. This was a deep ball. He threw it 30 yards downfield on a quick release, perfect pass, and an awesome catch from Tevin Coleman against the cornerback. So, you mean, 49ers had some challenges, Matt. They had some obstacles offensively today. They had their share of first and second down inefficiencies. But when the chips were down, their playmakers, starting with their quarterback, made a lot of plays against the Panthers, and that's why they blew them out. Yeah, that uh, pass to Coleman was a, was a go route. It was a zero blitz that the, the Panthers had. Um, Garoppolo said he knew that there was no safety back there. He could just let it go. <laughs> Uh, Tevin Coleman looked like a wide receiver on that play. And, uh, you know, I think Mike McGlinchey remarked on this is that Tevin Coleman always has great games against the Panthers. Uh, remember that 2019 game? He rushed for over 100 yards and he scored three touchdowns. Uh, so, uh, if the Panthers are on the schedule, put Tevin Coleman in because he's really good. And I thought that, um, he and boy, Jeff Wilson ran really well. And that was a, that was a theme, I thought. Uh, and, and that, that drive, that third quarter, you know, answer the bell drive you were just describing also included a really nice catch and run by Juwan Jennings where he looked uh, for all the world to be Debo Samuel. And, um, you know, there were other guys running like that today. There was uh, Jeff Wilson ran like that. Uh, Kyle Juszczyk had a stiff arm, put a guy on his back. 
Uh, Tevin Coleman looked good on some of the outside zone runs. I, I think the 49ers have had trouble with that this season. Well, you know, once Elijah Mitchell went down, they don't really have anybody with speed. Coleman has speed, and I know uh, he's not been a favorite of 49ers fans uh, because of his down 2020 season. I think he averaged 1.9 yards that year. Uh, but, uh, boy, he looks like his old self now, and he's able to you know, put his foot in the ground and, and make a cut. And George Kittle has a, has a quote in the story that I wrote that I just think uh, articulates why Shanahan needs a guy like him and why guys like rookies and Marlon Mack and anybody who's a newcomer to this system seems to struggle. So, um, you know, this was the game where the 49ers started to click, and uh, it'll be really interesting to see whether they can keep that up uh, against the Falcons, and then the big test is going to be the following week against the Chiefs. Yeah, and, you know, they, they I would say they started really to click right against the Rams, but but you're right, they – they couldn't really sustain it for the full game. They really needed that overpowering defensive effort to complement them against the Rams. This was the first game where they clicked within the context of the offense. You know, I, I don't want to say that the offense was the locomotive that was pulling the train, but it was it was it was an even distribution between defense and offense today, getting the job well, done. It now, certainly wasn't special teams. Yeah, so. that's what I'm saying. That third phase of the game was terrible. I mean, a the 49ers came into this game ranked number 32 in the league in, in uh, field goal and extra point efficiency. A lot of that was because Seattle blocked the field goal and took it back for a touchdown in week two. So the smaller sample obviously hurt the 49ers there. But Robbie Gold had, had missed a field goal, a big one against the Rams last week that the 49ers made sure didn't come back to haunt them, but it was still a big miss. So, you know, a, a lot of the focus in, in special teams was – Okay, let let's figure out this field goal game. Let's get this back on track because everything else is doing okay. But today the kick coverage just fell off the off a cliff, and it had uh, catastrophic domino effects, right? Because two of those returns to the Panthers went to midfield, and one of them, Robbie Gold, was forced to make the tackle. And uh, you know anybody who knows how Robbie Gold is built uh, knows that he's not out there to make tackles on kick coverage, and he got hurt making a tackle on kick coverage. And then you had Mitch Wisnowski have to come in, and uh, he, he had a kick last year, right, when Gold got hurt against the Seahawks. I think it was week four last year. Uh, it wasn't pretty. I don't think the 49ers and Shanahan ever wanted to see that again. They had to watch it again today. It still wasn't pretty. Uh, he obviously hasn't really been practicing that over the course of the last year. If Gold is not, you know, back up to full health within a couple days, which – Probably won't be the case, right? Um, they're going to have to bring in another kicker, Matt, because, uh, you know, special teams right now, it, it just seems to be an issue that, that is causing other issues on special teams with Exhibit A being Robbie Gold getting hurt on a play that featured bad kick coverage. Yeah, um, Gold was um, uh, hobbling around. He was definitely limping in the locker room afterwards. I asked him if it was uh, if it was just a knee bruise, and he said he wasn't sure. He's going to get he's on this uh, MRI list for for Monday as well. But um, boy, I, I got to imagine that there's going to be a kicker workout. Last year, remember Joey Sly came in and was really good, and the year before that, Chase McLaughlin came in <laughs> and was uh, let's shall we say inconsistent. Uh, so I, I, I'm not exactly sure who's out there, but uh, the way the 49ers usually go about it. They'll have a uh, a tryout, and uh, and then they pick a guy. I don't know whether that's as feasible. I, I suppose it is. Most of the 
most of the candidates are probably on the East Coast anyway, way, and it cuts down on travel. But that's going to be um, their annual challenge uh, in West Virginia. And um, you know, the other guy that we haven't talked about who got injured is Jimmy Ward. Uh, and talk about you know Buzzard's luck. Uh, Ward, you know, out for the first four games with a hamstring, comes back, plays one play, and breaks his hand on that play. So um, I don't know. Usually a, a broken bone means at least six weeks. There's a new rule this year that a player can come off the uh, injured reserve twice in one season. So uh, that's a possibility for, for Jimmy Ward. But uh, just really rotten luck for him so far this year. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Yeah, we'll have to see what kind of fracture it is because, I mean, we've seen players play fairly soon after a fracture with a club. We've also seen Eric Armstead, I think it was in 2017 or 2018, not be able to play uh, with a fracture. I believe it was in his hand because it just was a different type of fracture and doctors said that he can't play. So we don't have enough details on that yet. It was interesting how they were using Ward. I think he was in for two snaps and he was a third linebacker slash nickelback. Uh, and, you know, I think that role actually fits his skill set really well because uh, he's, he's so versatile. He can cover, yet he could come down near the line of scrimmage. And you don't want to mess up any of the chemistry on the back end with Deshaun Gibson and Talano Ufanga. So you bring Jimmy Ward in there uh, playing a little bit lower, a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage. And, you know, if that is the role in which they want to work him back into the lineup from the hamstring, and he is available to play even with a club on his hand, that actually might be a pretty good role for it, right? Because the one yeah. issue that you have with a club is you can't catch the ball, so you don't want to put a safety that's you know having to you know catch the type of pass that Jaquaski Tart had a catch against Matt Stafford last year. Too soon probably to bring that up, but <laughs> you don't want a guy with a club trying to make that kind of play, right? So I. I don't know. I'm speculating right now. We don't know what, where where this hand break is, you know, and what the details of it are. But it was a really short-lived return for Jimmy Ward, to, to say the least. You know, that being said, Matt, this defense, um, the linebackers, speaking of the linebackers, they, these guys are just so impressive. And I thought today was a really big day for them because the pass rush wasn't quite as strong. And it was screen city for Carolina with Christian McCaffrey on the team. And, you know, there was just going to be a whole lot of running around to do in this game. And uh, Dre Greenlaw responded with 11 tackles, Fred Warner with nine. And it wasn't just that. I mean, these guys had perfectly timed blitzes, uh, good run stops. Warner had a really nice one early in the game. Uh, they just looked like the two best, you know, the best duo of linebackers in the league today. And and I thought they really fueled the defense. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I think that uh, PAT attempt. Uh, or, or two-point conversion attempt that followed that Christian McCaffrey touchdown 
uh, was the, probably the real start of the, of the 49ers just kind of closing the door on the Panthers, and, and that was a nice run stop as well. I mean, seeing, seeing Christian McCaffrey live, you start to kind of understand why he's so good because he's so quick, and uh, he makes such sharp cuts, and he sets linebackers up for misses. And I think he's stronger than, than people are expecting, too. He's able to sort of pull his way through. Uh, some arm tackles, and so you got to be quick, and you got to be strong, and that's exactly what the uh, what the 49ers linebackers are. Uh, and I thought, uh, you know, Vanga had another nice game. Um, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see kind of who steps up. Uh, let's, uh, I think we can assume that Emmanuel Mosley is out for a long time, perhaps the the full season, and so that brings up, okay, who's now going to start opposite Charvarius Ward? And it was Samuel Womack who came in at outside cornerback. Uh, he had been the nickel cornerback for all the offseason, really. And at some point, they, they started to move him to outside cornerback. And he got the nod over Ambry Thomas, which I think is significant. Um, and then there's another name uh, as a possibility, and that's uh, Jason Barrett. And he started to practice last week. I asked Kyle Shanahan after the game, whether Barrett was a possibility. And he said, you know, that might be too much to ask of him. We had one real practice last week. Um, you know, obviously he's coming off the ACL. Unlike Ward, didn't practice throughout the spring and the summer. So he's really starting from, from ground zero. It might be too early to think that he could play against uh, the Falcons. But, boy, uh, the, the Chiefs uh, seem like a possibility. <laughs> And he would certainly be needed there. And, and one more name, I think maybe uh, Dante Johnson uh, mm, yeah. finally comes up from the practice squad this week. Uh, they, they could use his depth at that at that spot, at both spots, really. Yeah. Cornerback. Well, they're, I mean, they're talking about slow playing Verrett, but at some point he's got to get out there because this window to come back from IR is only three weeks long, right? So I guess you could theoretically keep on practicing him and not playing him, but at some point once you activate him, he's going to be taking up a roster spot and – those are going to be valuable here. They only become more valuable the more guys get hurt. And, uh, you, you know, it's going to be one of those situations where there, there is a clock ticking. And, well, I mean, we saw Verrett at practice last week and he looked fine during warm ups. It, it's, it's a lot different though when you get out there at game speed. And let's just say that the 49ers are extra happy right now that he is in the bullpen warming up after, uh, Emmanuel Mosley was hurt today, and we'll see the severity of it moving forward. Regardless of when Verrett's ready, if it's this week or the week after that or the week after that, it's going to be a boost for the 49ers that, uh, you know, decided that they really needed that depth at the cornerback position this year, and they do have it, and now they have to hope that Jason Verrett comes through for them, or, you know, if he doesn't, then they have to hope that pass rush remains as strong as possible, and right now the pass rush is probably a little bit diminished, even if Nick Bosa does come back because Eric Armstead is currently on the shelf. Javon Kinlaw is currently on the shelf. So this is the kind of stuff that happens over the course of a long marathon of an NFL season. And that's why complimentary football is something that the Fort Anders preach. Sometimes that defense isn't going to be able to, to, to be the tugboat, you know, and you know, we saw it in 2019, right? Defense came out lighting everybody on fire over the first half of the season. And then in the second half of the season, injuries, attrition caught up to them. 
And the most famous example of the offense needing to grab the steering wheel was against New Orleans. And the defense gave up 46 points, but the 49ers won because their offense scored 48. So, uh, you know, I don't know if it's going to get that extreme this year, but it's the NFL. And there's so many important games that you have to win. Chances are that at least a couple of them uh, are going to, you know, require something that's not your usual formula, right? And I thought today was promising for the 49ers because their defense and offense really carried equal weight in this game. And uh, balanced teams are the ones that are going to win Super Bowls. So the 49ers can continue to showcase the balance they showed today against better teams and shore up their special teams mistakes and just be average on special teams. We're starting to see the formula, right? We're seeing the formula that they want to ride deep into the postseason this year. Yeah, and, and I think the wobbliness of the offense can be attributed to, to three things. One, this happened last year. When you get injuries at running back, that affects things, especially uh, this team. And uh, with Wilson and Tevin Coleman, that gives you some stability. The other thing is Garoppolo, uh, and he said this. Uh, he missed the entire offseason, the entire preseason. And um, he's obviously getting into a better and better Rhythm, and then the third team is, thing is the uh, offensive line. I mean, it's such a young offensive line. It's never has been younger than uh, the one that uh, came out today, or at least lacked experience as much as the one that they fielded today. It's only going to get better with time. So I think that you can expect more consistency from the offense. And you know, next week in, in Atlanta, it could be uh, wobbly again. But I think the overall arc. It's going to be better for the offense as we uh, as we move forward. Well, I mean, getting Trent Williams back whenever that happens is going to help a lot because I mean, we talked about the keys of this game. They needed to neutralize Brian Burns, and you either do that by getting a performance from your third string left tackle Jalen Moore that's way above what what you're expecting from your third string left tackle, or you you kind of scheme the help for for Jalen Moore against Brian Burns, and and by scheme help, I mean. You're relying on Kyle Shanahan to draw plays that Jimmy Garoppolo can execute with his quick release to get rid of the football. And the, to, to neutralize Brian Burns, the 49ers had to use the ladder today because I think Jalen Moore really struggled with him. I think that, yeah, yeah I, I think that he was in the backfield. Garoppolo took a share of hits, but the QB and the play caller can help out the offensive linemen. And if they're, if they're competent and, and Garoppolo and Shanahan were really good today. I mean, it, it was a lethal combination. The 58% third downs in this league. Against an above-average defense on the road um, is no joke behind a third-string left tackle. But but we saw the 49ers make that work uh, in this game. They're going to have to continue making that work. But at some level, Matt, that there are some smoke and mirrors involved, right? They again, they had Garoppolo at 2.5 seconds today, snap to release. Uh, I think it was 2.4 last week against the Rams. It was still really quick today. At some point, you're going to start getting a lot of Tiger coverage, which is going to take away. A lot of those, you know, quick releases and, and you're going to have to, you, that's why left tackles are paid so much money because at some point the moment of truth comes, defenses take away the very quick game and you need somebody that's going to seal off that blind side so your quarterback can step up and throw it. And I don't know when that moment's going to be coming. Last year it came in the NFC championship game against the Rams and the 49ers didn't have enough answers. And uh, that's why they're paying Trent Williams so much money. They're going to need to get him back because I think they could scheme their way around this tackle issue for a finite period of time. But for this offense to you know, truly be stable, to, to showcase the efficiency that it did today and build on it heading into the postseason and you know, wherever they go, 
they need 71 in there. And then, you know, that, that, that's, that's probably the most important return from injury uh, on this football team right now. I, I don't know what Nick Bosa's situation is, but as far as guys that you need, it's Trent Williams in that lineup. Yeah, there was a, a moment yesterday in the third quarter where you, you looked off a uh, far corner of the 49ers sideline, and there was Nick Bosa uh, chatting with, with Trent Williams. Uh, obviously, Bosa was telling him, uh, how his leg was feeling, but uh, th- that was a, uh, a sight to behold. That's a lot of talent uh, in, in one little vignette there. Um, I think uh, good news is that uh, I watched Trent Williams before the game. Very, very gentle jogging, I would I would call it. Um, I have a video of it. Uh, uh, um, but the good news is that he wasn't limping. He wasn't in a, a walking boot, and um, you know he's starting the, the rehab. I think uh, Atlanta, artificial surface, uh, is probably uh, too far-fetched for him. But I think Kansas City is now on the table. At least it's a possibility for him to come back. And uh, I know we keep steering the conversation towards that game. But that, that seems to be uh, one where, where some of these guys can, uh, can resume playing. Well, if the 49ers find a way to beat Atlanta, an Atlanta team that's probably going to be really pissed off after what happened to them against Tampa Bay today, they, I mean, just – horrific officiating uh, to the point where people online are thinking it was intentional. Grady Jarrett sacked Tom Brady. Atlanta should have gotten the ball back, and and they called unnecessary roughness on like one of the more delicate sacks I've ever seen. Um, Atlanta has a sour taste in their mouth. They're coming back home. They're going to be playing with some desperation. They're actually playing better football this year than I think a lot of people expect it. We know, I mean, speaking of Grady Jarrett, we know the damage that he and other really good interior rushers have done against the 49ers in the past. This is going to be a tough game against the Falcons on on Sunday. But if the 49ers can win that, then, oh, my God, they're coming home to face Kansas City. I mean, what what a showdown that would be. It's going to be a showdown regardless of, of what they do in Atlanta. But imagine the hype ahead of this game against the Chiefs if the 49ers win and move to to four and two. So uh, it's starting to pick up, right? We talk about this being the marathon and not the sprint, but this is the part of the marathon now where you're starting to kick it into gear a little bit and you're starting to figure out, you know, who's who in the NFL. September was kind of like preseason, right? Because it was so sloppy. I felt that, you know, we're we're getting a, a look at the 49ers team identity now. And, Part of their identity, Matt, is depth, right? This is something they've striven to, to build since 2017. And, you know, every year we've seen great examples of their depth last season to make it all the way to the NFC title game despite all those injuries. Even in 2020, they finished number 10 in DVOA despite putting a record amount of players on injured reserve, right? So it, this this roster has been very strong for, for quite some time now, probably since 2019, where they also overcame a lot of injuries to make it all the way to the Super Bowl and come close to winning it. Um, and this is kind of maybe the, the, the final boss, right? The, the final test for this roster, this 2022 season, because they're as strong as they've ever been from a marginal like depth perspective. And, um, you know, now, now they have to show it. And they're going to be playing a lot of good football teams moving forward. And they have a long season to get through. But we'll see if, if the depth that the 49ers have built is indeed good enough to withstand uh, the rigors of this marathon. 
Yeah, I agree. Um, should we go to some uh, audience participation here? Is there anybody in the queue right now? Uh, there was somebody a little bit earlier. Let's see if somebody joins. You could go ahead and we'll, we'll answer a couple questions and then we'll sign off. I think somebody named Peter was there earlier, but we are he, – he, oh, he's back. Good. Peter, what is going on, man? Uh, it's a good afternoon on a Tuesday for us down in Sydney, guys. Thanks for having me on. Hey, I, yeah. There was the physicality of the 49ers have always always been a physical football side. I, I, I mean, I'm coming to the conclusion that I think that's just part and parcel of who we of who this team is. is with the injuries are going to come when we play a physical brand of football. What do you think? Yeah, well, I, absolutely, and I think that everybody in the NFL, to some level, plays a physical brand of football. I mean, it is it is professional football. It is it is a contact sport. So uh, it's it's one of those things where you know everybody when you're just watching the 49ers, you think they're the only team suffering injuries, but they're actually happening all across the league. Now there is something to be said about the fact that in 2020 the 49ers did have the highest injury rate in the league. And I think it was a little bit above average in 2021. And I'm not really sure how it stacks up to other teams in 22, but um, I think you're onto something, Peter, in that uh, positions like running back for the 49ers have become uh, decimated every single season. And for me, like when I look at the type of player that the 49ers want a running back, Shanahan wants somebody that's both fast and physical. Because he wants to take advantage of smaller defenses, but he also wants to have the speed to make his scheme work. And when you think about it, that combination, fast and physical, uh, that that means that you know the, the collisions are going to be worse for the human body, right? Because you're moving faster and you're not trying to elude people; you're trying to run people over. So it's no surprise to me that the 49ers running backs, for example, have gotten hurt on a high rate over the years because Shanahan is trying to combine these two things that just don't seem to be something that's sustainable for health, right? Uh, Matt, do, do you see it the same way at running back, that Shanahan's trying to have his cake and eat it too, and maybe that's why he needs so many running backs to survive a season? Yeah, I mean, that's been the, the one position that's been hit hardest uh, basically every season. You know, it, it's hard, though, to find a rhyme or reason. I mean, I was talking to Ty Davis-Price. Remember, he came up with that uh, high ankle sprain against the Seahawks and played, basically played the whole game with it. And I said, well, what play did it happen on? And he said it was the play before Trey Lance got hurt. Uh, and what happened was somebody fell into the side of his leg, which is exactly what happened to, to Trent Williams as well. I mean, that's just, I don't know, it's just football. It's just, uh, you know, 22 bodies uh, flying around the field uh, all, all at one point. So, um, I mean, look at today's injuries. One happened to a kicker who was covering – a, uh, a a bad covered badly covered uh, return. One happened to um, a, a linebacker slash safety who broke his hand on one of his first snaps. So um, it, it's uh, like I said, it's very very hard to come up with a pattern for all these injuries that are all random or they're all different. I should say uh, one from the other. All right, let's go to Bradley. He's the next guy in our queue. Bradley, what's going on? Burford and um, do you see that continuing for a while, or do you see that uh, you know a decision being made between those two players kind of moving forward? You know, they put in uh, Brunskill last week ostensibly because he hadn't gotten any snaps and he needed the work, uh, and because he had played so well against Aaron Donald in the past. 
so it was a bit of a question on my mind whether they would do the same thing this week, and they did. So I think that's going to be the case moving forward. Um, I don't know whether that's, uh, that means that Brunskill's eventually going to take over or they're just pushing um, uh, Burford. But, you know, to me, I think that Burford is off to a very nice start. I would personally keep him in there so that he's better by the end of the season than he was at, uh, at the beginning of the season. Um, David, what do you what do you say? Yeah, I mean, I always thought that the the Burford situation was a higher ceiling kind of thing. I think that you you know what you've gotten from Daniel Brunskill, a right guard, and it hasn't really been spectacular play over the past couple of years. I I've always liked Brunskill for his versatility. Um, I you know backup center is a really really important position as we know from covering the 49ers over the past few years so he could potentially really give the 49ers a boost there in case they ever need it with Jake Brendel but and and also we know what Brunskill did at tackle back in 2019 but I, I think that right guard and and pass protection struggles there have cost the 49ers dearly in in the postseason year after year after year you go back to the Super Bowl in 2019 with uh, Chris Jones working against Mike Person, and, and that wasn't good for the 49ers. So uh, I, I always looked at this as, ooh, look at Spencer Burford, a lot of potential coming in from UTSA, played tackle there. But, the, you know, I saw this as a guy who can really raise the ceiling of play that the 49ers have, have seen from the right guard position. And if you're looking at, at it that way, then you're looking at it as a – you know, an upward trending graph, right, over the course of the longer term. And he's playable right now, which is big. That means that you can put him in there. That means that you don't have to shield him, you know, a practice. And that means he can grow faster because he gets those game day experiences. So to me, you know, it's it's almost inevitable that somebody else gets hurt along the offensive line and Brunskill's going to get a chance to, to play anyway. And uh, I'm not saying the 49ers are waiting for that to happen, but th- this is why you need seven-day quality offensive linemen to, to make a legitimate run in this league is because um, th- those injuries are going to pile up. So I think this is probably going to work itself out as the season progresses, and I see the 49ers is happy enough with Burford's performance right now to where they can keep on investing snaps in him so they can reach that higher ceiling by the time that uh, this is this is all said and done. Why don't we go to Colin? Colin, what's going on? Hey, David. Hey, Matt. How are you guys? Good. How are you? Good, man. Thank you. Um, My question is about Bobby Turner. Um, I saw he came back a couple weeks ago, but with Anthony Lynn as the running back coach, kind of what is his role with the team, and is there any weirdness there with Anthony Lynn being the RB coach, but now he's back? You know, I was watching them at practice the other day, and it's like two coaches right there, Anthony Lynn and Bobby Turner working with the running backs and I mean these are two really really respected minds as far as as running back coaches go you know Anthony Lynn actually played for the 49ers in 95 and 96 back when George Seifert was the head coach so he played with Steve Young and he was in that west coast offense and then he's actually you you talk to anybody who talks scheme in the NFL play design Anthony Lynn um, is 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 a very very respected mind in in that regard, especially for the inside run game. And then obviously you look at Bobby Turner, and he has this decades long history with the Shanahan's and the outside zone. So if anything, I think that you know these two guys they bring two separate specialties to the table, and I think that you know but they're both veteran coaches, and it seems that the Forty ers have a healthy productive you know feel in the building matt i would think that that they're excited about this because it's 
two minds is better than one, especially when both minds are, are bringing, you know, when each mind is bringing a, a different uh, skill set to the table. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, and, um, you know, I, 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 I would think that having Turner there to kind of free up Anthony Lynn from sort of the day-to-day uh, running back work um, allows him to, to be more useful in the, in the game planning element. And that's something that the 49ers need to, um, you know, not work on. But uh, you know, they don't have Mike McDaniel anymore, so they're 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 trying to come up with a good system, a good formula. Um, I think it's a, a case where the more minds, the more good minds, the better. Um, and then you know, uh, those two have have worked together in the past. Anthony Lynn was a, an assistant running backs coach under. Uh, Bobby Turner with the with the Broncos. Um, I think it was 2002 around then. Um, Anthony Lynn's got a great story about the Broncos drafting Clinton Portis, and I think Clinton Portis was a second round pick who expected to go in the first round. And so uh, when he got to the Broncos, his first words to Bobby Turner were, "What took you so long?" <laughs> Bobby Turner did not like that. Bobby Turner is old school, as old school as they come, and um, basically kind of shut Portis down, ignored him for months and months, and said, you go with uh, Anthony Lynn. So Anthony Lynn, the assistant, had to deal with Clint Portis and sort of set him straight, set him right as far as the the Bobby Turner mentality. Uh, So my point is that these are two guys, two men who, see things very, very similarly. So I don't think there's any discord or awkwardness or anything. I think they're going to work very well together. And, hey, just to wrap up, I think a stat to support that the the first week of them working together has worked well, Uh, 120 yards today for Jeff Wilson, 7.1 per carry. Jeff looking as explosive as, as he ever has, and this is after that meniscus tear. Uh, in the off season of 2021, 49ers averaged 5.5 yards per carry on the ground. When they average that on the ground, they're really tough to beat. And it was a complimentary offensive effort today. So more of the same from the 49ers, maybe with a little bit more stability, maybe with more first and second down efficiency. I mean, I know the Kittle fumble hurt them earlier in this game, um, you know, where they don't have to have Garoppolo and company bailing them out on third down and long so often. I think that would probably be a more sustainable formula moving forward. But the fact that the 49ers showed the ability to make those plays, that explosive offensive ability today to, to convert those third and longs, I think was was a big, big boon for their, their chances moving forward. So we see the formula now, and I think we've seen it for a while, but now we actually see it really in action. And the 49ers are far from a perfect team, but um, they, are, they are making progress toward being a really formidable opponent, and they take on Atlanta next. So anyway, for Matt Barrows, uh, this is David Lombardi. We will be joining all of you a little bit later this week. 49ers beat the Carolina Panthers 37-15. to We'll talk to you all next time. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10 
$10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.